Hey guys, welcome to Maple Crest Church. This is a place where, together, we'll be diving into topics like who Jesus is, what he wants for us, and how to live it out in today's world. We hope it serves you well in your journey and gives you life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your family. Okay, let's get into the message. Wow, thank you, God, so much for today. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your oil. Thank you that you love to love us. And not only that, but Father, but your love changes us and the way we spend time with you and what we do in the secret place, it affects us. It changes us and it, it makes us more into the image of you. So Father, I just ask for your, your presence just to be on each and every one of us in our homes, wherever we're at, Father. Just bless us today. Bless us with the word. Bless us with just an overwhelming hope and joy, God. Just a hope of glory. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Wow, beautiful day today. Um, Yeah, so um, I'm going to end up preaching a little bit on uh, Romans 7 and Romans 8. Um, And that, I'm going to tell you, there's a time in my life where I spent um, just feeding off of Romans 6, 7, and 8. Just beautiful verses, beautiful Um, verses about who we are and what God's done to us and how he's forgiven us and set us free. And not only that, he's also brought us with him and, and we sit beside him now. Um, So yeah, I just welcome everyone here. If anyone was here uh, for when I preached last, I preached on calamity to intimacy. Um, And the whole, the whole idea behind that was that when we're in calamity, when something happens, we go and we seek God. And when we seek God, we, we actually don't, um, even if we don't see breakthrough right away, even if we don't see something happen or we don't get what we want or we don't even feel better, God is still there and he's still there to comfort us and to help us. So I actually kind of want to um, go off of that and go a step further this time um, and talk a little bit about what it means to be in covenant with God. Um, and you hear that word a lot, covenant. Um, and I'm going to talk about what it means for us. It meant something for the Israelites way back. And that covenant has actually been extended to all humanity through the blood of Christ. And it's, it's wonderful because every single person around you, every single person in the world is affected by this um, in some way. And when we seek him, when we give our lives to him, he actually not only forgives, forgives us, but also changes us. So I'm going to start in Exodus 5, um, and this is where Moses actually is coming back um, from uh, exile, or not exile, but uh, the land of, of Midian, and he's finding that even though he has a calling from God, um, there's resistance, and Pharaoh is, Pharaoh is not going to let up. He's not going to let loose. As a matter of fact, Pharaoh actually goes the other direction. And gives the Israelites more and more work and pushes them into a place that is less godly, pushes them into a place that is trying to hinder them and, and, and push them down. So in Exodus 5, I'll just read the whole chapter real quick. In Exodus 5, it says, Afterwards, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may celebrate the feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. 
And besides, I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh doesn't know the Lord. It's pretty obvious there. But the word know, and I'm going to talk a bit about this more further ahead. The word know actually is much deeper in the Bible. If you, if you read it um, in uh, context, the word know is actually more like a, a personal, like really, really intimate knowledge of God. Um, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. And they said, the God of Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you draw people away from their work? Get back to your labors. So you see uh, Pharaoh here is, is trying to justify the, the slavery that he's put the Israelites under. Um, and he, he's trying to push them into a place that's actually reverse. It's backwards from what God's trying to do. He said, look, uh, Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now many and you would have them cease from their labors. So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen saying, you are no longer to give the people straw to make brick as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which they were making previously, you shall impose on them. You're not to reduce any of it because they're lazy. Therefore, cry out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavier on the men and let them work at it that they may pay no attention to false words. So the taskmasters, the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people saying, thus says Pharaoh, I'm not going to give you any straw. You go and get straw for yourselves wherever you can find it. But none of your labor, none of your labor shall be reduced. So the people scattered through the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. And the taskmasters pressed them saying, complete your work quota, your daily amount, just as when you had straw. Moreover, the foremen of the sons of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not completed your required amount, either yesterday or today, in making brick as previously? So as you can see, Pharaoh is starting to really close in. He's starting to, to make it harder and harder and harder for the Israelites. And the foremen of the sons of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, why do you deal this way with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants, yet they keep saying to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are being beaten, but it is the fault of your own people. But he said, you are lazy, very, very lazy. Therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice the Lord. I, it's a tough thing to be called lazy when you're actually working very hard. So go now and work for you. You shall be given no straw, yet you must deliver the quota of bricks. Um, <clears throat> so we can see, I'm going to stop there. So we can see um, kind of a contrast um, and I've yet to get to what God does, but we can see a contrast of what God wants and what Pharaoh wants, whereas Pharaoh wants them to go deeper into labor. He wants them to work harder and he accuses them of, of not doing enough, um, of not being sufficient, not, not being acceptable. Whereas God doesn't even question that. He doesn't even question, are these people doing good enough? Are they following my rules? Are they are they being faithful? No, God doesn't even question that. God just says, I want these people out of slavery. He begs and he begs and he does that through Moses. <clears throat> and then we see in Exodus, when the Israelites are set free, um, they go through the Red Sea. And the really beautiful part about this is not only God does God deliver them, 
but when they cross the Red Sea, he actually eliminates their enemies, completely annihilates the Egyptian army. Um, that's more of a violent sort of picture in the Old Testament, but there's actually a huge significance to it as we see God doesn't just care about delivering people. He doesn't just care about going the first mile. He wants to go this, the next mile. He wants to kill off the old self, the old person, the old slavery, as we'll eventually see in Romans 8. Um, so just to summarize kind of this whole Exodus uh, 5 um, exegesis here, we see Pharaoh, he's going um, from, or actually I'll start with the Holy Spirit wants to go from Egypt to the law, as we see further down Exodus and all the way up to Deuteronomy, into the spirit, as we see in the New Testament. So Egypt to law to the spirit. That's what God does. He constantly brings us to greater and greater freedom. Whereas the enemy wants to do the exact opposite. He wants to take us from the Holy Spirit. He wants us to completely forget about the Holy Spirit. Go back to following laws. Go back to being legalistic, being self-justified. And then finally, back into slavery to sin. And dare I say, there's a lot of Christians, a lot of people who, who know God, such as you know the people in the Gospels, the Pharisees in the Gospels, who claim to know God, who claim to be so righteous, so perfect, yet they were living in sin. Christ accused them, you know, you're living in, in hatred. You're living in, in, in what is actually against the law, believe it or not. <clears throat> so you can turn to Hosea 2.14 to 20. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. Actually, this is speaking of, if you've ever read the book of Hosea, it's speaking of Hosea um, taking a, a woman from harlotry, from sin, um, and marrying her. And it's a beautiful picture of how God redeems his people, how he redeems his people from sin, even though the people he's redeeming aren't always faithful, aren't always doing the right thing. He still wants to redeem them. And it says in Hosea 2, 14, therefore, be, therefore behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. Then how I will give her her vineyards from there, and the valley of Accor, which means trouble, um, as a door of hope. She will sing there in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it came about that in that day, declares the Lord, that you will call me Ishi, and no longer call me Bali, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth. So if anyone was uh, here during my uh, previous message, I talked about how God restores trust is we have to um, find restoration of trust with God. God wants to restore our trust. And the question is, is who do we call out to? What do we go to in our trouble? Do we go to an idol or do we go to God? Do we go to um, an addiction? Do we go to a bad habit or, or a pattern of thought or a, a relationship? God wants to restore that. He actually wants to cleanse us of that he wants to remove that from our lips and actually cry out to him so he's almost like re-engineering trust um, in gomer here or in israel in the context of hosea so i will remove the names of the bales from her mouth so that they will be not they will 
so that they will be mentioned by their names no more. In that day, I will also make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, and the creeping things of the ground. So keyword covenant here. Um, <clears throat> we see that God's going the next step with Gomer here or with Israel. He's not only cleansing Israel, but he's also making a covenant. Um, just as Hosea with Gomer, he not only looked past her transgression, not only looked past her, her past, but he actually wanted to make a marital covenant with Gomer. <clears throat> and I will abolish the bow and the sword and war from the land, and I'll make them lie down in safety. And I'll betroth you to me forever. Yes, I'll betroth you to me in righteousness, in justice, in loving kindness and compassion. So we see here also, not only does God bring us into covenant, but he also brings us into, um, into a, greater, a greater vine, a greater uh, bearing of fruit. He betroths us. He, he, um, it's like he deeply connects with us in greater, greater things. Not only, like I said, not only forgiveness, not only just a covenant, because a covenant means so much more. A covenant doesn't just mean a promise because a promise while we can make promises promises can be broken but this is a covenant this is something that can only be broken by certain stipulations whereas the covenant with god that actually can't be broken we can run away from it but it actually can't be broken and the most beautiful part of of in my opinion the most beautiful part of this chapter is and i'll betroth you to me in faithfulness then you will know the Lord. You will know the Lord. So the Bible talks a lot about knowledge of Christ, knowledge of God. And I mean, I could say, you know, in, in, in the English language, we know know as being, well, I know how to read. I know how to do this. I know this person. I'm acquainted with this person. Whereas biblically, you actually look into the word know. And it's more of a, it's a lot deeper than that. It's more of a a deep communion with God, a deep consummation with the living God that goes beyond the surface. It's so deep and it actually changes us. So Hosea, this, this chapter in Hosea actually has a series of events that's, that's so powerful and so transformative to Israel. We see first the cleansing of lips takes our sins away. We all know that, you know, that's, that's the base gospel. He takes our sins away. He died for our sins. But not only that, he established a covenant with us. And the covenant is a betrothal to good works. It is a, a, a inauguration into good works. And he changes the way that we act and behave. And he, he teaches us. He teaches us what it's like to live holiness, live in holiness. And then finally, he brings it even farther and he consummates us. He, he brings us into a place where we can know him deeply and we can become more like him and become more in his image. I know back a few years ago, um, I did a discipleship training school with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and wonderful experience. Um, absolutely love YWAM, and, and I love just what God did in my life there. Um, and the community I was in had a huge impact on me, knowing that back in the city where I had, you know, I had Christian communities, but you're also in a city full of many, many other people and many, many other uh, thoughts and, and, and different types of congregations and people and, and opinions and beliefs. 
And I was in a bubble where it was so always on Jesus, always focused on Jesus and, and seeking after the better things, seeking after good fruit and, and holiness and all those wonderful things and um, beautiful time for me. And then I got back to Winnipeg and, and well, Canada, really. And all of a sudden, it was a shock. I fell in cold water. I felt like I had basically nothing, nothing in me to, to continue on, to, to continue on what God actually accomplished in me while I was on my DTS. So over the course of several months, I actually began to fall into works. We try and compensate. We try and make up for our losses. Whenever we do the wrong thing, we fall into shame or condemnation. Oh man, shouldn't have done this. <clears throat> oh, I can, I can do better next time. If I do this, if I, if I give this amount of money or if I do this ministry, or if I, if I impress this person, then maybe God will like me again. Maybe I'll be, be a better person after that. So I kept going to the cycle of constantly trying to better my walk with God, constantly trying to be a better person, have to read the Bible every day. I have to, I have to worship on a regular basis. I have to pray every day. And I have this prayer list, man. I I'll tell you, I hate prayer lists. Um, if it works for you, that is awesome. Please keep your prayer list. I'm not telling you to throw out your prayer list, but if I have a list of any kind, I become so religious about it and so obsessive over it. I actually regularly have to purge myself of these lists because I, it takes my eyes off of God. I realize that it's not about God anymore. It's about these lists. It's about these, these to-dos. Whereas that's actually not... That's actually not what God calls us into. He actually calls us into communion. So what happened was I eventually got to rock bottom. I, I found that I was at the end of my rope. I was exhausted. I was spiritually exhausted. I was emotionally exhausted because I tried to invest my emotions into my faith too. I tried to, I tried to somehow conjure up some sort of sadness or some sort of joy out of my flesh. And I was living out of the flesh as I will talk about soon. And what happened was I, I just got to the end of my rope and I realized that, that the only way, the only way to actually figure out what I was after anymore was just to give, give it all up, give it all up to God. So I got on my knees and I just begged God, just, I want more of you. I just want more of what you're, you're leading me into because I'm so lost right now. You know, we get so lost in our own thoughts. We get so lost in our own expectations, in our own seeking out a ministry. We get so lost in our good works. You know, we can't get lost in our good works. God wants to take us into the holy place. And that's exactly what I realized. Um, <clears throat> I'm very uh, inspired by uh, what Heidi Baker talks about um, and what she preaches about how she grew up in such a tumultuous, tumultuous sort of um, setting where she's constantly um, under scrutiny. She's scrutinizing herself. She was, she was so afraid of what she, what people would think of her, what her professors would think of her, what the people around her would think of her, what her family would think of her. And the one solution she has is not actually something out of herself, but it's actually seeking after God. She says, don't strive for good works. Don't strive for fruit 
strive for the presence of God. And that's something that touched me really deeply is, is that I was striving. I was living out of the flesh. I was living this life of trying to please God, trying to do the right thing. And that's not what God wants at all. He doesn't want sacrifices. He doesn't want burnt offerings, but rather he wants, as it says in Hosea, he wants the knowledge of God. He wants the knowledge of him. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Romans 7. And Romans 7 here, I would, if I had time, I'd read all 6, 7, and 8. But um, Romans 7 talks a lot about, um, or it builds up to this this grand uh, resolution of our past lives and what God does. And it also, in Romans 7, it also uh, confirms um, what is said in Hosea about our lives in Christ, about what God does to us and how he betroths himself to us. So uh, Romans 7, or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. The law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. Um, now just remember, I'm, just to be clear here, I'm not going to put anyone under condemnation. This uh, verse in Romans 7 is refer- referring specifically um, to the law, to the, the Judaic law. Um, so if anyone's wondering, I'm not, I'm not making this a central message. I'm not preaching condemnation over anyone for past mistakes and stuff or past, past incidences. Um, but in verse two, it says, for the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law concerning her husband. So then if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also also were made to die to the law, to the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another. So we die to the law. Now, in here, it's the capital L law. It's the law of of Israel. Um, But it also kind of talks about an inner law. It talks about this law that, that works against our spirit, that works against what God wants to do. Whereas, um, <clears throat> so therefore we are made to die through the body of Christ that you might be joined to another, to him who was both raised from the dead, not only died, but was raised from the dead so that we might bear fruit for God. <clears throat> so, when we give our lives to Christ, what happens is not only in Hosea, we get betrothed, we know God more. We also follow with Christ. We die with him, we die to sin, and we're also raised up. I think this is a message a lot of people need to hear, even a lot of Christians need to hear, is not only are we forgiven, but we're also raised up with him. And we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And we might bear fruit for God in doing so. So this is, this is our destiny. This is what God calls us into is, is not only dying to sin. Because once we die to sin, well, we're still being chased by the Egyptian armies. We're still under threat of slavery to sin. Like I can, I can tell someone, I can tell, well, anybody really, I forgive you they might sin against me again. It's possible, 
I have no idea. But once there's actually a relationship established, there's almost an accountability, almost a change of heart. Once you actually love someone truly, you cease to actually want to hurt them. Now, I'm not saying that people love people who love each other don't hurt each other. But once you have a relationship, people actually change. God actually wants to change us. And that is baptism. That is why we've had baptism. No matter where, what denomination you're from, when you have it in life or who does it, whether it's a priest or just, in my case, just a, another Christian, baptism has not just a symbolic value, but it's actually a dying to sin. It's actually a dying to your old self, dying to the flesh, dying to your old slave master, and then raising it, being risen up with a new life, a new spirit, a new person who actually doesn't dictate, doesn't force us, but compels us to love better and to live holy. Jump ahead to Romans 8 here. There's therefore now no condemnation. Did you hear me? No condemnation. No condemnation. What is condemnation? Death. That is death, both flesh and both spirit. But here, here it talks about our inner self, our spirit. There's therefore no condemnation. We are not, we are not at risk of dying to God. Like there's no way, like we don't, we don't have, there's no chance for someone who is united in Christ to actually completely die, like completely die in their spirit and become just a dull, lifeless body as long as we're united with Christ because he is the giver of life. He is the person who um, vanquished the death of Adam, who, who put to death the death of Adam, so to speak. He, he brought us into a life that pushes out the old death. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus um, because Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit himself is life. Verse two, for the law of the spirit of life, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now I'm going to replace the word law here because the word law here doesn't actually apply to the Judaic law. It actually applies to a principle. We live by principles. Um, so the principle of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the principle of sin and death. What is the principle of sin and death? That's slavery. That's what Pharaoh did. That's what keeps us in our sin, what keeps us in, in our constant shame, our constant self-condemnation, our constant pushing ourselves in a place of, oh, I'm no good. I'll never do good again. But rather the law of the spirit of life takes us out of that. It pulls us out into new life and gives us new confidence. It also enables us to win the battle over sin, to win the battle over something that is almost powerless in the face of Christ, almost powerless because the death of Christ had taken it over. For what the law could not do, weak as it was to the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. 
For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. <clears throat> and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, <laughs> but in the spirit. So what Paul is saying here is we're not of the flesh. Like, if you don't know God, what is it? Like, is your life just working and going home? And, you know, I, I want to value. I just want to, I just want to commend um, our workforce for just doing the right thing and, and contributing to society and, and keeping, keeping our lives going. I know I, I work at, uh, I work at a production plant and I know that what I do, every little thing I do affects somebody else. It, it helps our industry. It helps our world. But I know that if I go to work one day, if I ever spend a single moment without abiding in God, my mind goes any which way. I could think of whatever. I could go into condemnation. It's an everyday thing. Is you know, Paul speaking identity over us. Whoever, um, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. But the flesh. So if the flesh is still, if we still can indulge in the flesh, and the spirit's right here, then well. We could either choose. We could choose between the spirit and the flesh. Now, the spirit is who we are. The flesh is our old man, which God tells us to put to death, to, to send into the Red Sea and be done with it. So we actually have a choice. It's actually quite simple as, you know, as a believer, if you, know, if you don't know God, then there's, there is such a, a wealth of, of, of God's favor, of his Holy Spirit that can actually help you. As a Christian, you don't just live your life trying to do the right thing. You don't just live your life being a good person. You live your life in the spirit. And when you live your life in the spirit, everything comes after. We don't have to worry about the fruit we're going to bear. We don't have to worry about leading people to Christ. Of course, I think it's important to lead people to Christ, but why should you spend your time meditating on how many people I'm gonna, am I going to pray for? How many people am I going to bless? Who am I going to tell about Jesus today? No, we we go straight for God. Jesus, I love you so much. And I want you to be a part of my day today. Just be a part of my day. I just want you today. Just fill me up. <clears throat> so if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells in you. So that just adds a whole new dimension to the whole thing. Blows your mind. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to not just your spirit, but your mortal body. This is the nature of God, church. This is the nature of, of what God does. He's the giver of life. And there's, there's more than just one layer to it. He doesn't just in live in what's in here, but he also shows 
his life. He reveals his life through what he does in the flesh and what he does to our mortal bodies. He raises the dead. He casts out demons. He heals the sick. And we have the privilege of being a part of that. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live, if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Father, I just thank you so much. <laughs> I thank you so much that you love us so much that you not only take away our sins, you not only cleanse our lips, you not only restore trust, but you, you also bring us into greater communion with you, Father. Father, I pray for any, anyone who is going through calamity, anyone who is going through hard times right now, and anyone who is going through good times, Father, just remind them of the covenant that you've put on their lives. God, I pray for believers worldwide. I pray for, for the church in, 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 Canada, in Canada during the COVID crisis. I just pray for a greater communion, even though they can't gather together. Thank you, Father, for that. I just, um, I just want to invite people, um, if you don't know Christ today, if you've never um, invited him into your life or Maybe you've grown up in the church or maybe, maybe you've been really hurt by Christians. I just want to invite you that, you know, what, what you see is not always what it is. Sometimes, sometimes we're pushed away. Sometimes we have a bad image of who Jesus is by what we see in people, by what we see in imperfect people. And I just want to say right now, Christ is so above that. He's above the world. He's above what you see at work. He's above which you see if you go to school, if you're a student. He's above what you see in your families, what happens in your families. He's above politics. He's above society. He's above it all. And all he wants is a relationship with you. He doesn't want you to be super religious and do legalistic things and try and be a perfect person. He just wants to have communion with you. And if you're in shame or condemnation, then I just want to encourage you. You know, Jesus is so... So over that, he does not look at that. He looks at who you're created to be. He looks at your created self. And sometimes our created selves are not in the best shape. Sometimes we have afflictions. But Jesus is so beside you. He, he's calling out to you. So I speak out um, right now that there is salvation. There is life. There is the Holy Spirit. There is eternal life. So anyone who doesn't know Jesus, I just ask you right now, you can follow me in this prayer. Jesus, I've been rebellious all my life. I've done all these terrible things. I've, I've disappointed you, but actually I haven't. I haven't disappointed you, but I've disappointed myself. I've disappointed my family. I've disappointed my church. I've disappointed my, my uh, extended family. I've disappointed my colleagues or, or my coworkers. God, I, I've, I've done terrible things. I've I've rebelled against you. So Jesus, I just ask you right now, cleanse me of my sin. Cleanse me of my unrighteousness and come into my life. Come in to live in my life unconditionally. Come in and just fulfill the price you paid. Fulfill the order you made on the cross, Father.
In Jesus' name, I ask you just to come into my life, be a part of my life. And thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Amen. If you said that prayer for the first time, I, I just bless you. I bless you so much. Um, and I know right now with COVID and everything, it's kind of tough for churches. But I, I just say, you know, if you, if you let Jesus into your life for the first time, or if you, you recommitted your life to Jesus for the first time, get involved in a church. It doesn't have to be Maple Crest Church, but get involved in a church that, that loves God and seeks the Lord and loves the Holy Spirit and, and just loves greater works um, that, that God wants to do in your life. Um, God, I pray for anyone who, who asked you into their life for the first time. I just speak peace over them. I speak life over them, God, and just show them your love. Show them who you are. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat>